Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer and broadcaster. And back in 2001 or so, not long after I did the interview with Sinead O'Connor, which you're about to hear, in part, in this, the first of a series of podcasts, Sinead sent me an email asking if I would be interested in helping her to write her biography. However, that little exchange came to nothing, and frankly speaking, I'm glad it did, because I now see that Sinead is about to publish her own memoir, Rememberings, written by herself. And I've always felt that memoirs written firsthand ring more true than those written with co-authors. Either way, I also heard this week, the last week in May 2021, by the way, that Sinead has decided not to do any more interviews promoting her book. So I'd like to try, in my own small way, to help her promote it by uploading these podcasts in which Sinead also remembered her past, arguably in a more graphic and telling detail than she had up until that point. Incidentally, I was born and raised in the same town as Sinead Dunleary, around roughly the same time, and I'd followed her career carefully, albeit from afar. Also, apart from writing a profile of Sinead for the Irish Times in the early 1990s, and more recently interviewing her for my radio series Under the Influence, which was primarily about her music, we'd never previously talked in depth. Although we had met socially on many occasions, mostly at rock gigs, hers or others. Not only that, the interview itself was being done as a cover story for the living section of the Irish newspaper The Sunday Independent, for which I'd only recently begun to do weekly interviews. And I was asked to do it by Deputy Editor Anne Harris. By the way, if you want to read the full article, it's available on my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com, and if you want access to the original tapes for personal or professional use, contact me via my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com. <laughs> I was just reading them again myself this morning. Uh, just the context that it is to somebody, you know, and why that might be problematic for you even to kick off. What? Like last week, like you might, you would have your problems with the paper. Uh, last week, the, you know, you were saying to me, how can I get myself out of the gossip columns? Or how do you get I don't have my problems with... Do you know? No, or with any particular paper, no. All right, okay. Because I saw one of the things they were just saying, and I would find it offensive, that uh, the quote of the relationships of the year was young German. Right. And I just said, you know, it was a dig at, uh, he accepts me for what I am. Mm. And the dig was, is that the priest, the son of the priest, the rock star or the lesbian. Mm. Now, you see your life reduced to three little lines like that. Is that the very kind of thing that makes you go, I'm not going to discuss those things? Is well, that no. why you draw back from it? No, I don't read the papers for a start, right. really, unless there's something, you know, politically that I'm interested in going on, in which case I tend to read the Telegraph. I don't really read any other newspapers. So. Right. And I'm being in the business long enough to know that that's part of the job you've got to put up with shit like that so it really doesn't bother me anymore and I don't have problems with particular people and I don't take them personally right because I have so many people in there are friends of mine do you know what I mean most of my friends yeah, were, you were writing for a time and then that suddenly stopped well yeah but I'm not really a regular writer so it's oh, not right. so much stopped as such but I'm not a regular writer for them you know okay so. did you have a falling out or anything uh, no I wouldn't say so no. no we've had our you know, disagreements over the years, but I wouldn't say we fell out. In fact, far from it, you know, very good friends as far as I feel it with Anne Harris and Owen and um, Angus and Mary O'Sullivan, so. 
Okay. So there's like we wouldn't necessarily socialize or anything, but we're good. Right. We respect each other, basically. You know what I mean? And I respect, like, look, most of my friends work for newspapers all over the place. You know what I mean? So I respect they have a certain job to do and they have a particular mindset and that's them and this is me and I don't, you know, judge them for being the way they but are. There, but there was a time where you, you weren't quite as <coughs> and you were very deeply hurt by violation of legislative private life. And, um, yeah, but I guess I've you. grown out of that, you know yeah. what I mean? And I accept that, like, you know, if I'm going to be open about things, then that opens it for anyone to comment about it, you know what I mean? So, so none of the jibes get to you. I mean, we said this on the radio show when I said, yeah. when people say, well, we should shut up about religion, you say, yeah. I can't say anything against that, they're acting in knowledge. Yeah, people are entitled to their own opinion, and I understand the mindset of newspapers and what they have to do. Do you know what I mean? And how much their emphasis is on trying to make a living, that they right. they need to make a living. And people like me help them to do that as much as they help people like me to do that. You know what I mean? So, yeah, not by doing all the nasty stuff. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. But I guess I just don't take it personally. Like I, I might have said this to you before, but what I learned from growing up in a small town like Dublin is as well, like you're stuck with everyone. We're all in the same boat and you're going to bump into each other in Grafton Street or whatever. So you may as well not hold grudges. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And none of us are perfect, and I wouldn't be therefore in a position to judge anyone else because I'm not fucking perfect. You know what I mean? But anyway, I'm saying that I don't yeah. read newspapers, and I've grown older so that I don't really take personal. And you also tell me on the radio that your dad would say wouldn't bother reading some of this. No, stuff. So no. It doesn't get unless it, you said if some things are printed that are patent lies, you then would still take her offence. That's stuff that used to go on years ago. Like for me, that's experiences that I would have had maybe ten years ago or up to eight years ago. Uh, I was obviously very hurt by by the coverage of what was going on concerning my daughter. You know, the right. suggestion that I had abused my child and how radio shows were held discussing what kind of mother I would be. And people were phoning up saying they wouldn't let their kids near me. Yeah. A child I used to babysit. A child I used to babysit called up and was abused. You know, for saying that I was a good person. You know. She, this so shit like that was hurtful. Well, a girl who I used to mind when she was a baby called up in my defence uh, saying how appalling it was that anyone should conduct a show like this, you know, based on tabloid rumours that, you know, that had gone around that I was being charged for child abuse, which yeah. is not true. You know? Well, you see, there is, there was so an interview. that was hurtful. You obviously. did an interview in our house which then wasn't allowed to be wrong. Yeah. But when you addressed that issue. Yeah. And it never did turn up. It couldn't no. turn up because it was, there was an injunction yeah. around the newspaper. But there was never anything said at the time that it was a charge. It was just a complaint lodged mm. that the papers went crazy. Yeah, it, but wasn't it? it wasn't just papers, but radio shows. Like, there were yeah. actually radio shows held, you know, on RTE channels. Yeah. The discussion being, would you, is Sinead O'Connor a fit mother? That type of thing I find offensive obviously, you know. And did that kind of coverage, uh, and the kind of, even the Sunday Independent ran some stories before that, and I do remember the yeah. piece by Mr. Uh, yeah. You know, would they have damaged either your relationship with your daughter or your relationship at the time with John? They never damaged my relationship with my daughter, right. obviously, but they certainly destroyed the relationship with John. Do you think yeah. you believe that? Yeah. The high profile attacks? Yeah. And the, and the way the paper, I think it was, delivered. They were they were responsible for the uh, what then took place between myself and John in terms of fighting over Roisin, definitely. They yeah. were responsible? Yeah, you definitely, think so? yeah. Oh, you know. But why, though, because of... I think, was it the representation of the comment on the gay burn thing? That, that yeah, because that's not what I had actually said. What I had actually said was it was a donor situation, meaning that both of us were, myself was the donor, not John at all, but that all both right. of us were in a situation where we were friends and having a baby together without necessarily going out with each other. And decided to. 
And then what I said was it was, quote, a donor situation, unquote. But this obviously because a lot of people had grudges against John, you know, they all set out to make out that I had said that he was some kind of sperm donor, which, of course, sadly, he believed then because so many people fucking said it to him. That you said it about him? Yeah. Well, not that I said it about him, but that this is what I felt. And since he knew them better than he knew me as such, it resulted in years of misunderstanding, which caused great pain for John. So was, I remember at the time that the idea was that you were targeted John Wallace specifically. Yeah, but, not, that what, but that doesn't make it a sperm donor right. situation, you know what I mean? And nothing that I said implied at all that he was some kind of sperm donor who I didn't want involved with his child or who wouldn't be allowed to be involved with his child or bullshit right. or wasn't entitled to be, you know what I mean? Like, so that put him in a terrible position because, it, it, you know, it made any man's worst fears become reality you know yeah and did everything so, fall apart are you even in touch anymore I, we're good friends now and we have oh. a good respect for each other now but that's having been through you know the succeeding time yeah but i resent um the custody case and the the responsibility of the media in that and how they are all prepared to jump on the chance that i might be a child abuser of some type which is really a soul murder and an attack on everything that i stand for you, you know to do it, soul murder. so you know but, but was where, where was the child abuser accusation leveled it was done um First of all, it was done, it was picked up on by the Mirror, who knew that charges had been, or not charges, but that a complaint had been made against me, uh, a malicious complaint. Right. And be- before, it was uh, emotional abuse and neglect, yeah. Okay. And before I had even been investigated by social services or anything, someone had alerted the Daily Mirror the Sunday Mirror, who turned up on my doorstep, and this is how I found out about this. And they printed it, and everyone was prepared then to jump on it. And if anything in my career hurt me, or not in my career, but if anything media-wise hurt me, I would say it was that, because that was really an evil thing to do, you know? So... But you you said that was the last time you really had something like that, the media turned you inside out. Yeah. Yeah. And that affected your dad in that, at the time, too? Well, yes and no. I mean, indirectly, it would have, you know, after about a year of all this bullshit going on, my father, obviously, it, it got to the situation where my father had to really step in and help out, you know, with his legal knowledge and with his oh, okay. knowledge of me and, you know, it, and his knowledge that, that what was being, you know, he's a barrister, yeah, okay. he used to be a barrister, he doesn't okay. act as a barrister now, right. but he used to be. But also his knowledge of me and his knowledge that the charges or accusations rather that were being made were completely untrue and unfair. And he saw that I was being murdered to a huge extent and stepped in. So, So, yeah, I would say that the media in Ireland have a huge responsibility in that, in what happened. Other stuff doesn't really affect me, you know what I mean? And nothing did or will ever like that would. It is absolutely profound. Yeah. Sounds like a baptism of fire. Absolutely, absolutely. That's That's exactly what it was. Absolutely. So the other stuff afterwards, the kind of side remarks or anything about that, just just kind of like. Look, no, I live in Dublin. It's a bitchy town. Bitchy people. Bitchy people run newspapers. Schoolyard gossips. Schoolyard bitches. You know what I mean? But I don't. I don't take it personally. And I love those people who are friends of mine in there, even if you know they have some fucked up attitude toward me, which I can't say whether they do or they don't. You know what I mean? That doesn't stop me from loving them if I do love them. You know. All right. So. And have you maintained good relationships with John, uh, with John Reynolds and John Waters? You know, just in terms of each other. Yeah. Oh yeah, very much so. Is so important to you. Yeah, very much so. Myself and John Reynolds are best friends in the world. And myself and John Waters are now, thank God, after the baptism of our coming to having a good respect for each other, you know, and, and even a liking for each other. So Even a lot of Yeah, well, I mean, that was always there, obviously, you know what I mean? But we both went through 
difficult times and hurt each other a lot, you know. And were you never so romantic that you would say, I will only have a child with somebody I'm deeply in love with? At that point in my life, the way I felt about myself was so low that I didn't believe anybody would ever want to be with me. That I, it wouldn't be possible for me to have a child like that in a relationship where I was married because I felt I was so awful a person that nobody would ever want to live with me. And in saying that, I have no regrets because I love John Waters very deeply and I always have done and I'm very good. So when I say I targeted him, it sounds colder than I meant it. Yes. I meant I saw him, I got to know him, I realised what an incredible human being he was and that if I was going to have a child, I'd like to have a child with him. Right, right. You know what I mean? Whether we were together or not, you know what I mean? And I don't have any regrets because the child is incredible, you know. But why was your esteem so low at the time? I mean, was it the combination? I was just very young and very depressed time? and, you know what I mean? I was suffering from very severe depression. I was very unhappy, very lonely. You know, the effects of being famous, the effects of being living this, away. I mean, the like this here. Yeah, but that, that would have been, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that would have been a couple of years before. I mean, the whole fucking thing is a soul cry, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I see some of them as, like, earlier ones are like prayers and the others are like answers. It starts getting answers when it gets to universal or when it gets to Gospel Oak, you start getting answers. You know? But the original ones are <coughs> prayers. Yeah, definitely. But there are also cries of anger and cries of rage. <coughs> there has been, like I've watched from afar. Yeah, absolutely. Justifiable anger. And per I would have had perfectly good reason to be as angry as I was, which is impossible for any of you, forgive me yeah, for I'm using the word, to understand. But As in us journalists or people outside? Well, people in general, like where I come from and what I came from and what I was writing about, uh, the extent of, of child abuse and what had gone on within my family, its effects on my family and therefore its effects on many people to whom it's happening as we speak. My uh, chosen mission in life was to uh, make, do what I could to make sure that this would never happen again in any other Irish house or any house in the world for that matter. Um, and that people should know exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that then later as I got older, I would hopefully be able to use my experience to bring some compassion and be involved in the healing process for myself and other people regarding child abuse and all. But basically, of course, I was fucking angry. Yeah. Why wouldn't I have been? And I have no shame about that. You know what I mean? It's challenging for people because up until that point, anyone dealing with child abuse had been in shadow. You know what I mean? And all acting like there was something to be ashamed of. You know what I mean? And I feel very much like I identify with the NWA and myself. I think we're very similar, although we are coming from different places. Everyone railed against NWA for being so angry. But of course, they were fucking angry. This is what their life had been. Yeah. So I was the physical uh, embodiment of the effects of child abuse. And part of that is a huge rage and anger, justifiable rage and anger, you know. But it was very hard for people to understand because people have prejudices about pop stars, especially the females. Yeah. You know what I mean? That kind of we don't we are not ordinary human beings, you know. So, yeah, I was angry. <laughs> well, where is that anger now? <clears throat> well, you know, having expressed it through songs and having gone for years of therapy, and I wasn't only angry, you know. No, I, mean, I know, I know. But, you know, I mean, I, dominant you know. Yeah, not. I wouldn't have said it was dominant, but I would have said also it was great pain. I mean, yeah. if there was anger, it was anger which was quite clearly made out of great, great pain. And you're talking of someone of 20 years of age yeah. dealing with emotions which are fucking completely and utterly overwhelming, like that, yeah. that someone of 50 years of age would find hard to cope with, you know. So here I'm trying to be 20 years of age and deal with all of this shit, you know what I mean? But I felt that music, sorry, was a safe place to put anger and express anger. I never went around beating people up. I never went right. around jacking right. up or destroying right. myself, you know right. what I mean? Right. What I did was write songs about it. But I wrote equally and probably more uh, tender right. and fragile songs. 
And I think this is the other reason I was such an angry person is because actually I'm a terribly tender person and I always was. And I distinctly remember as a child deciding one day was I was riding on the back of someone's bike to act really fucking tough. And this would get me through life if I cursed a lot and I acted really fucking tough, you know, that this would get me through life. So it became for me a, a protection of my tenderness because I am very vulnerable. So to act real fucking tough and angry was basically how I got through life. <laughs> you also, were you also, is that just myth given a guitar when you were in care? Yeah, my first guitar I got given by Sister Margaret who ran the, um, on Green On it was called, The House of the Rising Sun. <laughs> I used to blare that, sing it really fucking loud in their faces. They were Oh, they were all like really nice and everything, but and yeah, this was, so, was 13, was it? Uh, 14, just gone 14, I think. Yeah, or going on 14. Oh, when you were in care, yeah, who put you in care? Was it your dad? My father, yeah, on the recommendation of a really lousy social worker. Okay, your mum had that was dead, yeah. No, just, no, I had left, I had run away from my mother when I was 13. Okay, but I had been brought up by my mother to steal and uh, various other things so I got into a lot of trouble stealing and I was obviously extremely disturbed having had the shit kicked out of me in more ways than one every day in my life and you know blah blah so I couldn't really adjust to what was supposedly normal life in my father's house and I didn't go to school and I was robbing money off my dad and generally my father was worried I think that I was going to end up as he put it on the wrong side of the tracks or end up like my mother you know cr criminal you and, she, but she didn't bring you up to, to steal oh yeah she did yeah. she taught you how to steal yeah I encouraged it we, that was how we avoided being beaten uh, yeah, she, yeah, not just for the house, but like um, we had a whole scam going um, which, where she would drive us into town. This started when I was about 11. She would drive us into town. We'd get uh, flag day collection boxes and give, give our false names and addresses. And uh, she would drive us around pubs at night and we would collect money. And then she would empty us out and take all the money. Did you get a, did you get so a cut or anything? We got the coppers and she got the silver and we were all working in restaurants and everything and you know like we were basically encouraged to steal things and you know she'd send you to lost property at school to nick a pair of shoes and then when we got caught she'd say she knew nothing about it this kind of thing. And right. So the police finally caught us, this is why I ran away, the police caught us when I was 13 down in the club pub and talkie because I drew a big fucking face the on the toilet pub. door. Yeah. Why not? I drew a big face on the toilet door and we were foolish enough to go back the next week, <laughs> me and my sister, and then um, the boss got us and we climbed out the fucking window and ran away. But basically we got arrested, but thank God it was a policeman, Sergeant Mannion, right. who had been in our house a few times because the neighbours would call the police because they'd hear us screaming, you know. So he knew my mother and he knew she was a nutter, so luckily right. he didn't arrest us. But when she came to the station, she said she knew nothing about it, which really I was devastated by, you know. So, you know, a few months later, basically, I fucked off. So then I spent about eight months at my dad's getting into trouble and not, right. not settling down. And my stepmother was concerned about me. So she called a social worker who very stupidly, in my opinion, advised that they send me off to this place. This wasn't the place that I'm, I won't use this in Mecklenburg. Yeah, it is, yeah. Oh, one? I was think you should one? use it, yeah. Because well, I, I thought you were just... See, I didn't... I, Chanel, I haven't looked at yeah. this Oh, no, I think, so this I is think all you should use it. <laughs> no, I will, but yeah. if you want, I'll, I'll only use what you want me to. But I didn't. This is all new to me. I was yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, you know, I've listened to your music, but I suppose I didn't read as much on the life because I thought so much of it was sensationalised by my own peers. Right. I, I, also, I was probably waiting until I could talk to you like this. Well, that's again because of, of the prejudice towards women who yeah. do what I do for a living, that we are obviously making everything up and we're all publicity seeking and anything we say, blah blah blah. But you know. That's just not the case at all. Like, and I wouldn't have been doing any of this shit if not for the reality of where I came from, which none of you, and I'm sorry to sound so offensive, could possibly begin to fucking imagine. And if you all did know, you would all cry your hearts out and thank me very much for fucking trying to do what I could do 
to voice this and give a voice to those of us who have almost been murdered in our own homes, you know. But when you say so, neighbours would call the cops because they'd hear you screaming, yeah. and they accepted your word that she was a nutter, mm. is that the absolute reality? Oh, case? yeah. Because Joe has said it's not. Well, if you look at carefully at what Joe has said, Joe himself is quoted in one interview as saying that the type of violence my mother committed upon us was the type that if you did it to an adult, you'd be locked up. Okay. So Joe contradicts himself and and also I think is trying to protect himself. And also Joe wasn't beaten. Joe, a lot of the violence that took place with us took place when Joe was out of the house, although he hauled my mother off us enough times to know the truth. Basically, he's not telling the truth for reasons of protecting himself and also, you know, for reasons, I think, of him having such a problem with me. It's it's not been easy for him that I needed to be so open, you know what I mean, that he has his way of dealing with his recovery and I have my way of dealing with mine, so... But I never spoke about his experience or anyone else's experience, just my own experience. Do you want to get on now? Yeah. I mean, we're not we're not close at all, you know what I mean? But, but Why then? Because of that? Because you went public on those things? Not only because of that, but because we both have our own pain to deal with, you know okay. what I mean? Uh, Separately. And, and, you know, while Joseph wasn't violently abused by my mother, he was abused in other ways sufficient to be very, very hurt himself. So, you know. What do I have to drag your mother off on feeling and your sister? Well, oh, and, and she had her own ways of destroying him as well, oh, okay. you know what I mean? In, in a lot of ways, he suffered more than... Us, although, yeah, exactly. She had different ways of abusing each of the four of us. So, well, was it fundamentally breaking down <clears throat> self esteem as you went about there, breaking down confidence, breaking down identity, breaking down things? Yeah, that absolutely. Of core mm. mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. that, kind of, that kind of psychological destruction. Well, you know, one of the things that my mother used to do, she had different things with each of us, but one of the things she used to do, particularly to myself, and I won't talk about my brothers and sisters' okay, experience okay. because it wouldn't be fair on them. Um, on a regular basis, except for one thing I will, but on a regular basis, you know, and I've probably said this before, I would be made to take off my clothes and lie on the floor while she kicked me around and would kick me here and spit at it and blah, blah. But one of the things that she used to do is she would make me say, I'm nothing. I would have to say things like, I'm nothing, and ask her for mercy, things like this. So that breaks down your self-esteem. And if you're lying on the floor and your mother's telling you to say you're nothing, do you know what I mean? This kind of shit. Myself and my younger brother lived in the garden for two summers in a row and were fed on the doorstep, literally, lived in the garden shed, this type of thing. Because she had students in the house and you got money for students, but you could only have them if you had two kids. So she put us in the garden and told the students we were her nephew and niece uh, and that we were staying there in the daytimes. This kind of shit was going on, you know. So there's a lot of sadism. The violence was sexually abusive, you know. When when your mother spits at your your genital earlier, How do you assert your sexuality in the face of that? Well, exactly, and how do you I feel comfortable it, being a girl? Yeah, you know, for yeah. me, I think I was very in my male for the first few years, and of course I was very fucking angry, you know what I mean? And my intention was not to let my mother destroy my sexuality or my spirit, which is yeah, often yeah. your sexuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I had great difficulty being a girl or being female or being tender or, do you know what I mean? But so, you did say that even you, were, you, did, you, you, you allowed yourself and you naturally mm-hmm. felt lustful feelings from the age of eight. And, oh, yeah. And when you were quite young, you were to sexually with all the yeah. people in your teens. Yeah. So you were able to say, this is my space. Yeah, but I wasn't necessarily able to conduct a fully rounded relationship. Right. Like, you, you could go and fuck right. people or whatever, right. but you couldn't necessarily conduct a loving relationship. Like, I'd, right. I, for years, I had a huge problem with making love with someone I loved because I thought that's not something you do with people you love. That's something that people who are horrible do to you. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't, no, put, I couldn't, couldn't put love and sex, sex together. together. No. For a very long time. So. For how long? 
God. I mean, you know, till I, till I was like 34, really. <laughs> well, 33, you know. Right, okay. Yeah. But the, but that kind of, have you since come to any kind of, what is your understanding of your mother's uh, own distress or pain? Or, oh, I have huge, you know? I've always had massive compassion okay. for my mother, which is again a problem often between myself, I think, and Joe or myself, you, you know, in that relationship is that I love my mother and there's a lot of hatred within the family for my mother, but I've right. always adored my mother. Right. I'm right. in love with my mother as any daughter would be right. that doesn't mean I'm not terribly hurt by her or that I haven't in the past been yeah. terribly hurt yeah. but I've always since I was a kid I had compassion for her you know I believe what she suffered from was um that thing Munchausen's by proxy you know okay. where in a way she was trying to get attention for herself by hurting us you know she was she, out of her mind crazy she yeah. didn't know what the fuck she was doing basically and I always felt that and being a religious child as well I've had the thing of separating the sin from the sinner you know so you know that doesn't mean again that I didn't have massive anger towards her because I felt so hurt and let down and everything you know and the loss and blah blah but um, isn't part of the dilemma what you're saying I mean my dad was very abusive but I've never stopped mm, loving him yeah and people always say why don't you hate me yeah it actually has to do with me when I read John Lennon the primal therapy stuff. Somebody mocked him in Malibu Maker and John wrote in a letter which just said, you must have been in a lot of pain when you wrote that Yeah. And I just went, wow, he's not mm. telling him to fuck mm. up and that he's a fool. Mm. So I remember with my dad, whenever it was going on, I'd say, what, this man didn't bring me into the world to do this. Mm. You know, and you would look at your mother mm. and go, when I was mm. conceived, mm. the plan was never for this to happen. Mm. So the big question has to be, what the fuck mm. went wrong? Well, and the other thing, in terms of anyone thinking that none of this is true, you know, me and my brothers and sister were given to my father for custody when I was eight and a half, and the judgment is there for anyone to read in Alan Shatter's family law book, where it states, basically, that my mother was so violent that they were giving us to our father, etc., and that that exactly what my mother was up to. So if anyone thinks it's not true... Or anyone is tending to believe those who say it's an exaggeration, well, you know, the, the documents are there to prove that wrong and you know when those stories came out suggesting that you were abusive isn't that part of the prejudice Mm. towards someone who's abused yeah, well, that that was that was John's thing. case against me. That was the only case against me. Right. Was exactly it was it came from the judgment of Alan Sha- in the judgment that the judge made was um, that the kind of abuse that had been undergone by the girls in particular would leave them severely emotionally disturbed as they got right. older, okay. which of course it did right. and would. But that doesn't mean that I wouldn't be a good enough mother. But yeah, a lot of people believe yeah. that those who yeah. abuse don't make good parents, and that was the only case against me, okay. which was actually even more appalling. But it all fell apart, so, didn't it? Yeah, in the end, but it took 14 months for them to get around to it falling apart. And there was a lot of prejudice because a lot of people were delighted to have Sinead O'Connor in a box and have me crying my eyes out and humiliated and fucking phobic, which I was. I was hysterical right. throughout the whole thing. Right. And how did it end? What was the judgment? That there was no, no, no that, ground that, for this no, that, that, no, that there was no ground for it whatsoever and that the child should be with the mother if the parents couldn't come to an agreement as to how things should be worked out. That was the decision? So, yeah. And how do you deal with your own if you have a tendency towards violence? I don't have music into music? I have no tendency towards violence, no. Do you not allow yourself to to rage? I have done, yeah, and I have I've anger and I have a temper. But it's not physically violent, right. my temper, but, and right. it doesn't come out on my children. I never right. lose my temper with my children. The only people I've ever lost my temper with are blokes. Okay. You know? And saying that, you know, that wouldn't be all the time. But yeah, I have a temper, definitely. Would do you want to so no. Yeah. No. Why did you stop? Can you, it, can, you, can you control it? Stop it at the last moment? Yeah, it doesn't occur to me, you know. To go that, to no, go that far? No, I've, I use words, you know. I, like, I'm verbal, I, you know. Sharply, I think. Yeah, 
you know, like I have a terrible temper, you know, in truth, I have an awful temper, but it's verbal and vocal, it's not, you know, physical. And equally, I'm reasonable and rational and sorry two minutes later and I don't hold on to things, you know what I mean? Would you not tell more to go around a song about it? No. No? No, not really. I don't really want to write angry songs anymore. No, because no. that's the way the thing has turned in your career over Well, I had to because I was dealing with yeah. stuff which wasn't allowed to be expressed in any other way. I grew up in a family where all of this fucking hell and nightmare was going on, but everyone was acting like nothing had happened. No one was talking about it. I grew in a country where you couldn't talk about yeah. it. So I had to fucking write songs about it. And at that point, I was too, I didn't get into therapy until I was 28, you know what I mean? And also, I was so angry, I didn't even know I was angry. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like that. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. And don't forget, if you want to access the full tapes of the interview you just heard for personal or professional use, or read the article that I wrote based on that chat, you can contact me via my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.